0: This may be the first time you're hanging out with us today. And we're, in the middle of, we're actually almost at the end of a sermon series in 1 Corinthians. We've been going through the entire book, line by line, and talking through what we've found there. And the title of the series is called Being the Church. And you might, you might be hearing like, well, I'm not part of this church. That's fine. This is the big C church. This is the church global. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of glad you're all here because it reminds me there are so many people who are believing in Christ everywhere else besides here. We're only part of what God is doing. And so I praise God for his church and all of its manifestations to glorify him. And so we, we've been talking about this series being the church and what it actually means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. How we ought to maybe live differently or what our lives would look like or, or, or what truths that God proclaims about us, his people, because of who he is. And so we've been talking about that for a while. Last week, we got heavy into this topic of resurrection, which is a strange thing to spend a lot of time on, I think. You know, we, we, don't, we don't really like to spend a lot of time thinking about death and the things of dying. But there's the, the gospel, as we said last week, is intimately intertwined with resurrection. It's not an additional thought of the gospel. It is the gospel that we will indeed be raised to new life by the very power of God. And so last week, we heard Paul make a claim about that about Jesus Christ's own resurrection and how it brings power into our lives and about our own experience of resurrection that is in his name. We will experience real, physical resurrection just like Jesus, the first fruits. And so that was a pretty heavy and interesting thing. Well, this week we're gonna talk about the second half of that conversation. I titled it Transformers, but it's not like robots in disguise, right? Meaning uh, change agents or agents being changed. And so we're gonna talk about maybe some ways that the gospel is transformative and how we will actually practically be transformed because of the living God, Jesus Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to study that today together. We're going to do what we always do at Family Bible Church. Before we enter into God's Word, we're going to pray for revelation because he is the author and he is the completer of the work. And so pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning and all the blessings already to be able to sing your praises and to be able to talk about the good things you've been doing amongst us and to be able to celebrate dedication of Abel. And now, Lord, we turn our hearts and minds Toward your word, and I pray that, and as much as we're able, we would just listen to you. Lord, I pray that I would be out of the way on this thing and that you could speak to your people as only you can. And Lord, we ask this because there's no other voice of wisdom we have but yours. You are the very author of wisdom. You're the one who writes it in our hearts. And so I pray today, Father, that we would have hearts that are open to that, I pray maybe there's someone here today that's distracted or struggling or having a difficulty that they would be able to set that aside for a little while and just sit at your feet and listen to you. Would you instruct us, Father God? Would you teach us by the power of your word? We love you so much. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that's amongst your people when we gather in your name. We pray that he would be our instructor today. And we pray that in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So if you brought a Bible, that's awesome. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one off the end of the chair row. We also have open Wi-Fi. If you have a smartphone or even a a device, you can look that up. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 57 today. So 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 57. Page 801, by the way, in the Bibles that are on the chairs if you don't um, have your own. So we're going to talk about this idea of being transformed today, and I want to kind of lay out a definition of transformation so we can get an idea of of what it means. It kind of is about the cars, sort of. I mean, they would change into something else. You would think it was one thing and it would turn into something else. But there's some differences we're going to hear from the scripture today. Pretty amazing differences, in fact, between just something that would be a physical that would not just change form, but not change its function or its size. That's a big difference. But the idea of being transformed that the church will go through is the idea of being changed or of being exchanged. Perhaps this isn't a way to think of it. Being altered. As a matter of fact, if you look at the scripture, the text, it means to become something else. It's a strange thing to think about because we only know the experience we have in our bodies now, but the scriptures say that in the resurrection, we are going to become something different than we are now, and yet something different of the same kind we're going to hear all that from the word today and i hope we'll think deeply about what this might mean because i think there's great resurrection hope that is available to us the church of jesus christ if we would think about the things that have been taught over the centuries so that's the that's the first idea of what it means to be transformed or transformation what the word is and so we're going to start now in verse 35 but some will ask how are the dead raised and with what kind of body will they come now, I, I want to say this is halfway through this chapter. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to go back and read the rest of the 15. Read the whole book. It's, it's about maybe 45 minutes to read the whole book. But you can see that Paul has just made a particular case for physical resurrection. And as I told you already, he tied it directly to Jesus Christ's resurrection. He's like, if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we have no hope. But, if, but he has been raised from the dead. And because we have hope in Jesus, we have hope in our own resurrection as well. So he's made a case for resurrection to such an extent that he's now going to address a concern that he thinks some will raise who are denying resurrection. There are those in the church, when Paul's writing to Corinth, who are denying resurrection as being a real physical manifestation of God's power and grace for his people. So here's two questions. I hope you saw them in there. Question number one, how? How can the dead be raised? This is a reasonable question to ask because we've not seen any dead raised, right? I mean, I don't know if you've seen dead people raised in your life. I've not seen a dead person raised in my life yet, right? But, so it's a reasonable question to say, well, how is this going to happen? And then the second very practical question that someone may ask is this, what's the body going to be like? I mean, is it going to be like a do-over? Is it like this thing, but restarted? You get a reboot? Is it like the 99 players in your favorite video game? You know, you just hit the button and go again, but with all the same skills and all the same attributes, maybe you learned a little bit the first time, what kind of body... Will they come? You might even think, well, that, 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 that would be a hard question to answer. You know what Paul's going to do? Answer it. <laughs> Paul, by the power of God, is going to answer the two questions that are being asked of him. And, he comes, and it comes right away here in the second half of this chapter. Okay? So, here's his answer. How foolish. That's the first thing he says. What a silly question to ask. And I'm like, what? It seems like a reasonable question to ask if you ask me. But he says the word actually means unenlightened. What an unenlightened thing to think. How can there, what kind of body will it be? And then he, he talks about, look at the rest of that verse, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so the first thing right out of the gate when Paul says, what's this gonna be like and how's it gonna work? He says, we are transformed through our death, through our death. And you, I think, what? But it's, he says it right there. What you sow does not come to life unless it first dies. That is what we know to be true. And you're like, well, no, things that are dead are dead, right? But not so, not so. He's going to talk in a minute about where we see this cycle. But Paul, you can see the word sowing in there. Paul points to a known natural cycle that we all experience of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvesting, and he's like, what a silly question you would ask because you're surrounded with in a world where things die and come back to life. The, 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 we see in the absence of this in humans, but we see this cycle happen over and over again in our planting. Um, we were pretty amazed last year. I don't know if you had a garden this year or not. Ours didn't do super good this year, right? But what was the funniest thing for us this year is we had a garden last year. We planted, my wife planted a garden, and one tomato plant survived one right but this thing went crazy and it took over the entire garden it was everywhere i'm the neighbors were probably annoyed by it 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 was out of control this one tomato plant and so we had this one successful plant so this year she's like let's plant a little more intentionally let's do and i tried to help her this year and we got more planted but when we showed up to plant the garden i was amazed to see along the fence line where this monster tomato plant had grown tomato plants They had planted themselves. I mean, we had done everything we could. We ripped it out by the root and drug it down to the creek and threw it in the creek. You know, we got rid of all that big old ugly mess. And still some of those seeds from some of that tomato, that tomato plant from the previous season had replanted itself. Now, I'm a bit of a city boy. Apologize for that. But I was amazed. They plant themselves? That's awesome. This is how it ought to be. Well, this is what Paul is referring to. You know, lest you think that we are uh, not... Obsessed with death in a particular way, as a culture, I've, I did a little research because I was curious. And it's expected that this year, in the United States of America alone, we will spend 271 billion, with a B, dollars on trying to slow or stop our aging. 271 billion dollars. It seems to me that the more money people have, the more interested they are in preserving their life at all costs. How can I live the longest life, the fullest life? Because my biggest fear is that I might one day die. But the Apostle Paul says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. This is part of what God will use for his plan of restoration and and, um, correction, I guess. Redemption, that's the word I'm looking for. I told you I've had the privilege of doing a few funerals. Not a whole bunch, but I've done a few. And one of the things I often say in a funeral is, may you and I see in death the gate to eternal life. That doesn't mean we're in a particular hurry to get there, but it means when death comes, we are not afraid because we know this must happen in order that we might truly live. We are resurrection people. My hope is often at a funeral that those who are there who may not be believing the gospel would see in death The gate to eternal life. Sometimes they are the most troubled people in the room because they have no context. This is the end. This is a tragedy. Yet for believers, we see the very gate for eternal life in Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the grave. Uh, We sang a David Crowder song this morning. I was reminded of another one. He didn't write it, I think he just covered it. But it has this great line Everybody wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Ever heard that song before? Everybody wants to get to heaven. But nobody wants to die. And, and there's a truth to that. I love that song. It, you can sing it from your soul. So I have a question. We're transformed through our death. Have you ever seriously and soberly considered your own death as a necessity? That you must surely die. And so what will that mean? I was reading an article about the, a purpose-driven uh, death there was a conference they did where they took that idea of a purpose driven life and they flipped it on its head and said, How about if we had purpose driven deaths? What if we were aiming for something at the end of our lives rather than during our life? What if we were aiming for a hope beyond the grave? How would that change how we live now? Have you ever seriously considered it? So Paul says then, How unenlightened of you. What you sow does not come to life unless it first dies. Now he's going to get into this analogy in full this idea of sowing and reaping. Look at in verse 37. When you sow, do you, not, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and, each, and to each kind of seed he gives its body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind, that's humans, have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another kind. The sun has one kind of splendor, and the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars all differ from star in splendor. They're different. And so he's making a couple analogies. We're going to unpack this real quick here. But he says that this seed cycle is a normative experience. And the first thing he says here is you only plant a seed When you have a harvest, you only plant a seed. What's the body going to be like in resurrection? He's comparing it to a seed. You only, he says, you don't plant the body that's going to be. You only plant the seed. And then God, look at what the word says in 38, but God then gives it a body as he determined. And look at the next line there. And each kind of seed, he gives its own body. I want to talk about this for a minute. Um, Mike was saying how uh, it wasn't hard to pray for three hours um, down at uh, um, t- on Tuesday, and uh, I- I'm with him. I spent most of my day there, but I found myself, um, the grass around, the, uh, the public grass around there was unkept, and I would sit on the grass, and I would find myself playing uh, playing with the grass, and I was noticing a couple things. I've been on this weed kick this year and I was pulling up weeds. I was thinking about the need to pull weeds out of our life that we don't want, you know. This is as I was praying. I'm just kind of praying and reflecting. But the fascinating thing was because the grass had been unkept, it had grown tall enough that it had went to seed. And so I began to actually pull up weeds and throw them in the street where they would must surely die. And then uh, I would take the seed off of the grass and I was p- putting seed down. The funny thing was, when I said that, someone else was there said, I was doing the same thing. <laughs> and so we were doing it. And I have a, an example for you this morning that, that um, I grabbed on the way in. Um, I went by and I, I drove around the neighborhood until I found someone who was doing as good of a job as me of maintaining their lawn because <laughs> I needed it. Because if you keep it cut, you never get to this. But I wanted to show you practically, if I can, and this is a really hard thing to do, if I can get one. There it is. One. Can you see that? You In the back? Can you see it? It's there, trust me. It really is. This, this dies. This tiny, tiny thing at the very end of the experience dies, and it falls into the ground, and by God's providence— and enough time and neglect, <laughs> this comes up. And Paul's making a case here. He's like, this is what the body's going to be in resurrection. See, this isn't about grass and weeds. It's about us. He's like, this is what is sown, and this is what is harvested. This thing comes from this. And, and, and there's a bunch of these on here. It, it propagates, right? But, but one becomes this entire structure. That's amazing to me. This is our body, and this is our resurrection body. By the way, it says he caused each one to grow as he determined. And You know what that means? That means that in some mysterious way, this entire plant is encapsulated in this seed. The potential for this growth, the potential for it to explode out like this is in here. Like God already has all the information he wants for this particular kind of plant inside this seed that when it falls to the ground and dies, it sprouts forth in this glorious way. This is like the body and resurrection. There's something about it that's completely different. If you, if you took a kid and you said, are these the same? They would say, no, that's a little tiny thing. This is a huge thing, right? But... On the other hand, um, it is the same, but different. You see that? It's transformed. I'm going to preach a little bit today, but I hope you get kind of excited about the potential for the resurrection from the dead. I hope that you get maybe a little less intimidated as you look down the certitude of death in your future. Because God, the Word says, is going to do a miraculous work in resurrection. Maybe this one Maybe this one wasn't good enough. Maybe you couldn't see it in the back. So I brought something else for us today on the way in. Yeah, that's right. Apologies to the farmer. For the record, I, I found the only corn stalk without any corn on it. Actually, there's one right here. <laughs> so it wasn't an abundant crop on this one. But this. Now, maybe some of you smarter than I am right because I don't know because my whole plan with getting a corn uh, uh, a stock of corn from a cornfield was that I was going to dig in here and I was going to take one of these little guys there and I was going to say look at this this becomes this but then I thought that might not be right do you know why I thought that because what is this what is this does anybody know like I don't know yeah this isn't like a sermon illustration like i don't know i thought for sure you plant this right but what are those things up there doing they obviously look like seeds too i don't know guys look into it but here's what's amazing again you couldn't see the grass illustration right but look at the size of this thing by the way, a fun fact was um, my daughter had to borrow our, our, our SUV this morning coming to church. And so we, I drove my car, and I had to put this in my four door car, which was hilarious. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, look at, look at that. Wow. It's impressive. And it's all contained in here. The, God has the potential for everything, all of this, to burst forth from here. I'm amazed. And the Apostle Paul, he says, what? When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. You don't plant this. That's not how it works. No, you plant just a seed, perhaps of wheat or some other kind. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And each kind of seed has its own body. There's this growth. And this is, this is part of my, uh, in my thinking, about resurrection is we often we we are afraid of talking about death because we don't really stop to think about the potential of what god is doing through it i said last week i find cemeteries all across the world to be holy ground because they're resurrection ground every headstone i see is a proclamation of faith that this is not the end i went to a funeral recently and someone said the dash in the middle is all we have and i go okay but not really That end date isn't a real end date. It's a new birth date. You start. God does something amazing in resurrection. That's what Paul says. Then he gets into this idea then. So there's this seed coming coming forth into this huge plant, but then he says some things. All flesh is not the same. And so he's gonna talk now about about bodies flesh and splendor so he says we all have a body but not all flesh is the same now the word flesh here is a little different from the word body and so we should appreciate that because the truth is that you have a body now and you'll have a body for eternity that's what the gospel says right but you have flesh now and you won't necessarily have flesh for eternity that's what he's going to make a case for here and so your body will be you'll have a body but right now we have flesh and so he makes the point 39 all flesh is not the same humans have one kind of flesh, and animals have another kind of flesh, and birds have another kind of flesh, and fish another kind of flesh. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, we know a lot about birds and fish and animals these days, right? And there's a tendency to say, oh, we're all the same, we're all the same, right? But thinking about it, it's, there's different qualities you can imagine. Matter of fact, when you eat food, often people say, what's it, how's it taste? And you'll be like, it's like chicken, right? Because you know what bird tastes like you know? And then you eat something else, you're like, ooh, it's kind of gamey. It's, it's not like chicken, right? It tastes different. It's a different kind of flesh. And so that's what Paul's talking about. All these kinds are different kinds, and each kind has its own kind, right? And this idea of seeding is found not just in plants, but in animals and in people. We are a seeding people. That's what we do. That's how we procreate and have more children, All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind, animals another, and birds another, and fish another. And then he says this about splendor. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, right? So you have heavenly things and earthly things, but this is what he says. The splendor... Of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another kind. And so there's kinds of splendor we experience now, but it's not the same as heavenly splendor. It's different. That the resurrection form will be different in its glory. And as a matter of fact, just so you understand, the word splendor here is the same word for glory. It's doxa. It's the same word that we say that God is glorious. That's the same word that Paul uses to talk about resurrection, a different kind of splendor in the heavenly bodies. Then he equates this out. Verse 41. The sun has one kind of splendor. That's at the center of our solar system, as we know. The moon has another. It's a reflective body in space, just reflecting the sun's glory. And then the stars have another. And then he says this, stars differ from star in splendor, and glory. So even, so what's this tell us about the afterlife? Here's something I think we can take away from this. That even in the afterlife, we'll all be uniquely different and glorious. That just like in this room right now, no two of you are exactly the same so it will be in heaven. No two will be exactly the same. It will be for his glory, different splendors. Heavenly splendor, though, compared to earthly splendor. Heavenly glory versus earthly glory. And so that's the teaching we have. Like a seed. Here's a question for you. What will your resurrection body look like? You see, I know you see your body now. And if you're with me as you age, you see your body going the wrong direction, right? Things aren't working as good as they used to work you wake up with more difficulty every day and you begin to sense the day coming where you're not going to wake up you're going to be your body's going to quit on you and it's easy to think and i hope we'll just spend a minute thinking about it about what the glory of a resurrected body could look like to give us some hope as this seed falls to the ground see because we often think it'll be like me right just me, but the better version of me. It's like a younger version of me. But that's not what this says. A completely transformed person, a completely new creation that is the same but different, more human than human is the way I would maybe say it. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. But if you've not read the book, I would encourage you to read it. It has nothing to do with marriage, by the way. It's called The Great Divorce, and it's about eternity and the afterlife. It's an allegory, but it's a really good allegory. Some things that he says in the book that I have found very helpful is he makes the case that when we arrive in heaven, we are not yet fully manifest for heaven to such an extent that whenever you begin to walk on the grass, the grass hurts your feet because the grass is more real than you are. He kind of paints this beautiful picture of an earth restored that is more real and powerful than any earth we've ever known and our part in it we grow into. Again, he's using some license here. But he talks about the glory and the splendor of the people. And then, of course, about Jesus Christ, who is the light forever, and the people who who are coming to the mountain to worship him in all of his glory. It's a great and hopeful thought to think what it could look like. And, Paul says, you have examples right before you. These tiny seeds becoming these glorious, unruly, in some cases, plants. So resurrection, our transformation, is like a seed. So then here's some more things he says in 42 so it will be with the resurrection. You see, he ties it directly in. Seeds, planting, death, life, so it will be with resurrection from the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. And man, I have saw those words so many times at funerals. And it's so, it's so meaningful to understand that, that the way it is sown is not the way it is raised. He makes four cases here for it. Sown perishable, that means corrupted or decaying or literally rotting. The body is sown in rottenness, but it's raised imperishable. It's raised lacking all corruption. It's raised without decay. It's raised without any rot at all. And not only is it raised that way, but it's raised in such a way that it can no longer decay. It's not possible in resurrection for us to age or to fail. That's not how it works. He says it's it's sown in dishonor, which is seeing no value. It's sown in an expendable way. It doesn't matter I was kind of amazed as I thought about this, about the way we treat life sometimes, right? Because Paul's going to say about being image bearers of God. He's going to get there with this particular text today. And it's like, do we see the value in life? And we don't often see the value in life. And so we discard it. And whether that's through like our indifference toward a brother or sister's suffering, whether it's through the way we um, treat children in our midst, whether it's the way we treat the elderly and putting them in aged homes, whether it's the way that we go to war and we just kill people because we don't see God's image, it ought to give us some pause, because that's the way the body is sown as if it's expendable, disposable, can be thrown away. But he says, no, it's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. And glory means honor. It means splendor. It means of great value. You know, the Hebrew word for this is weight. The the, the body that's raised has weight. That's why I love the C.S. Lewis application, more real than real, more heavy than heavy, more authentic than you've ever known. He says it's it's sown in weakness. That's having no power, in great illness, in frailty, no longer able to function the way it's supposed to function, the way God designed it to function. That's how it's sown, but how is it raised? in power, in might, in ability, in energy. The word is dynamite. Like it just, it just explodes forth the way it's raised. One of the things, church, I get so hopeful about, and I hope you do too, there's two times, two times that give me great hope. And, and the one is when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and he just says, come out. And in a moment, he comes out of the tomb, dead men walking. That's why I said, I've never seen it, but it's happened right but the other time we know is what jesus on the cross and he says tetelestai it is finished and he gives up his spirit and breathes his last and then joseph of arimathea goes and takes his body down with nicodemus and they take him they put him in the thing and they decorate it, they get him off there for the sabbath and they're gonna wait and they want it to be they don't want to be dishonored anymore he's been dishonored enough already and then from the moment of dishonor in the grave all of a sudden three days later he's gone because why the father said, wake up. Jesus took up his garment again, right? This is the hope of resurrection. Sown in weakness, listen to me, and raised in power. That I get you a little excited. Jesus was raised not in a wimpish way, but with great authority, a bursting forth, a grave that could not contain him, dynamite. That's what Paul says about our resurrection bodies, called out. The fourth, then, sown natural—that's sensuous or carnal or in our fleshliness, the kind of meat, you know, the, the way we are. It can mean in our in our sinfulness but raised spiritual that's ethereal supernatural or holy wind inspired you know one of the great blessings and you have this too right you sit and you spend time with god what does god say about the holy spirit the holy spirit goes wherever he wants it's like the wind you don't know which way it's coming from which way it goes it just goes you ever seen a field full of crops and the crops are just moving around like this just the wind swirling and going over and in straight line winds It's wherever it wants to go. And that's what God says about Himself. And it says, that's how we're going to be raised in spiritual ways, not natural fleshly ways, but in spiritual realities as the Lord leads. I said, You can experience it. I remember I was sitting and I was praying. And I was praying, You know, God, do your will, and this is you. You got to work. You got to do your work. And all of a sudden the wind just blows around you. And you're like, Yeah, that's how it is. God moves where He wants, He does what He wants. He can't be constrained. He can't be contained. This is the Holy Spirit moving. Then Paul goes on, then he says, um, let's see where we're at here. Yeah, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And this is the last point he's gonna make here on this section. He says that your physical form is a sign towards your coming spiritual form. What? He says, read it again. I went way too far back. Here we go. If there is a natural body, that's a fleshly body, there is also a spiritual body. He connects those two thoughts. There must be. Um, I remember I was talking to people about the afterlife and people go, man, you don't know. I don't know. You're all just making this stuff up. Like you're hoping it's there, but you don't know if it's there. And here's a question that I've asked people and I really wonder about. What do you think about this life now? Like, did you think this up? Was this your good idea? How about being born? Do Do you remember wanting to be born? Do you, remember, do you remember knowing before you were birthed into this world that you were gumming? I don't. I didn't think up any of this stuff. This is a gift to us. And Paul says, this gift to us, this sowing and reaping cycles, these things that we see are instituted by God to teach us about the life that's coming and his full redemption in the gospel. He's like, this is a sign of the age to come. So your very created nature points you towards something greater than you currently are. This is one problem materialists have, by the way because they work really hard to try to justify living a, a worthy life now when there's nothing after this but material, if that's all there is. But I sense that they sense there's more. There's something more. I can't imagine how they can put that nagging suspicion to bed. No, we are made for more than this. The natural body gives proof that there's a spiritual body coming. Remember your best days? Like your best days on earth? Paul makes the case here that the best days on earth will be nothing compared to the worst days in heaven. Like, it's going to be a different experience. Indeed, it's our resurrection hope. Picking up then in verse 45. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. And so the next thing is transformation. We are transformed. Oh, I missed that one. Sorry about that. Oh, I missed that one, too. I'm doing great, y'all. Immortal, glorious, powerful, spiritual. You want to fill in the blanks? Life-giving spirit. We are transformed by a life-giving spirit. It, he makes a case here about the first Adam. The first Adam was given a soul. I mean, see, he breathed here on earth. He had breath in his lungs. Remember, God breathed into his nostrils when he created him, And he was given life. But he says the second Adam, and we can infer that he means Jesus Christ, is the life-giving spirit. He's the one that breathes true life into our true lungs. He's the one that awakens us to the kingdom that is coming. The spiritual did not come first, Paul says, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual came. So it's the, the beginning of things in a natural aspect that awakens us to a spiritual reality. And by the way, for some of us, it takes some time. Because when you're young, you can think this is all there is. And then as you age, you're like, this can't be all there is. There's got to be more life than this. I was talking to a friend of mine. And they were saying that uh, they were going through a midlife crisis. I'm like, why? And they're like, I just can't stand it. This can't be what it's all about. You get to a point in your life where you're like, this ha- there has to be more. There has to be more. That's the awakening to the spiritual reality that the natural life proceeds. So we have this opportunity then to be transformed by a life-giving spirit, a life-giving giving spirit it means a creative spirit that dwells in us and manifests glory from us like from inside of us um i love the idea of life actually is the same root word as zoo so like going to the zoo like every form of life is in a zoo that's the goal of a zoo usually and um and that that god is calling forth from our very natural sinful carnal bodies like this glorious creation this new life through the life-giving spirit 47. The first man was the dust of the earth, and the second man was from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, meaning we're made in the same way. We are made in the same seed. And as is the heavenly man, hear the word, so also are those who are of heaven, heavenly seed. This is what we talk about being born again, born of the Spirit, because it's about that new birth in Christ that awakens us to the reality, the promise that is coming. As a matter of fact, the word says that the Holy Spirit is an anchor in eternity for us that we can be sure of the things that we hope for, that we know in this life that God is bringing about the next life, a full redemption and a resurrection. Just like it is with the earthly man, so it is with those from earth. And just like it is with the heavenly man, so it is with the with those from heaven. And here's where I told you it was going to come to. Paul's going to come around to the image of God. And just as we are born in the likeness, that's the image of an earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Look at what the word says of the earthly man and of the man from heaven. We begin to bear his image. This is a transformative experience, knowing Jesus. We have this opportunity in this life to come to know him and to be born of his will. And when we are, we begin to see glimpses of glory. We begin to be called into a higher purpose. We begin to be awakened from our boring earthly lives into an eternal reality. This is what Paul says resurrection is like. This is the way we're leaning toward, right? Verse 50 then, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable this is the david crowder song everybody wants to go to heaven nobody wants to die paul says here exclusively you cannot inherit the kingdom in flesh and blood what he's saying is we are not wearing the right clothes and so we are transformed so we can inherit god's kingdom this is why we say we hope we see in death the gate to eternal life because being rightly clothed in christ we are invited to resurrection with him forever our gift of salvation that he brought that we didn't deserve so it's it's as if you're wearing the wrong clothes right now and you might like your clothes maybe your clothes you know you feel like yours is your clothes are pretty good you know maybe you got a four pack or a six pack or an eight pack or a keg i don't know what you got right maybe you got the hair you wanted the the body you wanted, you know, the legs you wanted, those thighs, those those, you know, whatever calves, the, the shoes y'all women wear, which is crazy. I would never. What are you doing? Those shoes. Maybe you got what you wanted, but maybe maybe you didn't. Maybe you're like that ain't what I wanted. I wanted that other outfit. Listen, none of these outfits are fit for heaven. It says what? You just not fit for God's kingdom, but rather only being dressed right, being clothed in righteousness is being dressed for his kingdom being born and recreated in his image is being fit for his kingdom i declare to you brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god no matter how good it is nor can the perishable inherit the imperishable and then this is our key verse actually for the whole thing today he says this listen i'm going to tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, transformed. Paul's like, listen, lean into me. I'm going to tell you a secret. We're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to live. We're all going to be raised. And here it is. We are transformed in an instant, in a moment, in a holy moment. Celebrating uh, Abel's dedication today and thinking through god's gift of life and i was telling someone there's two moments of holiness that i've experienced profound holiness and it's to be in the room when a baby's born if you ever get a chance be there just saying if you ever get a chance be there find a way get in it's holy you guys act like a creeper you know just no sneak in you gotta ask permission but if they're gonna let you in yeah check it out because it's not what you think it's like the air gets sucked out of the room it's holy It's different, and you know what else I've had experience at death. It's holy. It's different. I can assure you of this. I've I've sat with enough people while they died that whatever is inherently wonderful and beautiful and glorious is not here. This is the seed. This is the shell. This is not the person. I most profoundly experienced this with my grandmother. And then with others since her and my family and with many friends, listen to me, church, many friends in the faith who were believing in the gospel and took their last breath, proclaiming his favor. And then they were gone. And you know what? It's holy. It's a holy moment. And it happens just like that. It happens in an instant. Paul says here, we will be transformed in the twitch of an eye, in a twitch of an eye. Fast as you can dart your eye around at all, any movement. That's how fast it happens. Gone. Changed. He says this it's when the last trumpet will sound. When you hear that sound, the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. A glorious moment, a glorious resurrection. Now, can I point out one more thing that Paul said? It's a mystery. Even all, he says all these things about seed and new life and new heavens and earth and the splinters and glory. It's still a bit of a mystery how this is happening, right? Because I still see the headstones and I still see the graveyards. But we know these things are true. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself was raised as first fruits of all those, the word says, that have fallen asleep. We will be changed. Verse 53, because the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable And the mortal must clothe itself with immortality. And when the perishable has clothed with the imperishable and the mortal mortal clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It means it's been consumed. It means that the Lord has done it. He's taken it all. The word literally means he has downed it. The, The death is over. It has nowhere to go. He quotes in here, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Where's that needling about death? You're going to die, you're going to die. You're like, Yeah, we're going to die. But not forever. In the moment of resurrection, in the trumpet call, we will be given victory. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, the rules, all the brokenness. That's where the power of death comes from. But this is what paul says but thanks be to god he gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ and that's the last point we are transformed in victory through jesus i want to say this this is the moment this is the gospel moment you know often we tell our stories and we say, oh, man, I, you know, I've always believed. I've had some friends say, that I've always believed in Jesus. I was raised in a church. I've always believed in Jesus. And I've had some other friends say, man, I lived a, bad, a crazy life, and I was broken and all this, and I was far from God, and God saved me. And we tell that story as if it's the high mark of our Christian faith. We act like that's the moment back there. Have you had that experience? You're like, but now I'm in this space. I don't know what's but back there. Boy, that was fun. But now, what's happening now? But let me tell you something. The victory in Jesus Christ is found after the grave. You think the moment of salvation was cool for you? Wait till the moment of resurrection. Wait till the moment of hearing the trumpet sound. Wait till the moment of hearing the voice of the one who loves us saying, come out. Come out. Wait till the moment that our enemy is defeated, not only in, uh, in fact, but in reality. Raised to new life church this is the gospel proclamation that we are given victory through jesus himself i love that paul says thanks be to god who is the victory for us through the lord jesus christ and i wonder do you have victory I mean, in spite of everything else going on in your life, do you have a victory in Jesus? Do you know that it's not what has been or what is, but what is coming? Like the reality is that that's the moment. He is saving us. He is redeeming us. After making the case that the resurrection is tied int- intimately to the gospel, Paul says, and this is the moment of success when the dead have been raised and the kingdom has come and we are born with God um, This is what we have a cross. This is why we have a cross. Because in the cross, he purchased forgiveness of our sins. Oh, death, where is your power? Where is your sting? Because Jesus has made a way that our sin can be forgiven. I hope you know that today. I know most of you do. I hope you believe that today. I hope maybe you just get tired of carrying around your sin burden. You're like, you know what? I don't know, but I'm tired of carrying it. And you just say, Jesus, will you take that for me? Just take my sin burden from me. He did everything on the cross that we could be free, and he did everything in resurrection to assure our rebirth to new life. I hope you're looking forward to that. I really do. I hope it's something that drives your everyday decisions. That's not just a theory like, yeah, 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 I'll be raised from the dead, but you're gonna be like, I'm gonna be raised from the dead. Like this body's passing away, but something better is coming. Like God's kingdom is coming. I hope you have that sense, and I hope that we can rightly honor God by glorifying him for all he has done in the great gospel Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and for this amazing teaching from your word about um, this condition we find ourselves in. And Father, I know that in a room, when we're gathered like this, that there are blessings and struggles, that there are people who are just praising you for all the good you're doing, and there are people who are just feeling completely left out of your kingdom promises. I pray, Father God, that this morning we would have an awakening to the kingdom promises for all of us, I pray, Lord, that maybe, no matter how good we think our lives are going, it's nothing compared to the glory of being with you forever. And then I pray, Father, no matter how bad things seem to be going, no matter how weak or broken things we're feeling right now, that there's always a hope of resurrection and redemption in the name of Jesus Christ. May we lean into that today, Father. May we know you and know our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. We love you so much. We thank you for the cross that makes our relationship with you possible. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us and compels us toward faith. Oh Lord, help us to believe today and glorify you. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen.